I want to take just a few moments uh, before we begin this morning to say a special welcome to those that are joining us this morning uh, on KTCU through the radio. We are glad that you are choosing to be with us today. And if you are joining us from home today online through our live stream, please know that we are so glad that you are here today and hope that this hour is a time of uh, great hope and inspiration to you as we gather together wherever you are. As you may know, for the last several months, we have been pre-recording our online worship service, but starting today, we're going back to our live stream, and so our folks are joining us in home, uh, not just here in Fort Worth, but all over the country, and so we're glad that you're joining us today. also want to say something that I think is pretty cool. Uh, back in 1890, Back in 1890, a Presbyterian minister by the name of W.R.W. Blois, B-L-O-Y-S, started a camp meeting out in West Texas, uh, outside of Big Bend National Park. He gathered together not just Presbyterians, but Methodists and Baptists and disciples, and they would gather together. They still gather together about 2,500 people the second week in August. And they gathered together for worship and fellowship and Bible study, and it is this incredible, incredible thing. Gilbert Davis, who's a member of this congregation, was the preacher there for years and years and years. And since 1890, they have been gathering. This year is the first time in 130 years that they have had a woman preacher. But wait, it gets better. It was our own Renee Hoke who preached for that camp. And not only that, but about halfway through the week, they stopped by her cabin and invited her to come back next year. And so we are thrilled and we are proud. So we are starting a new series today that we are calling The Leading Causes of Life. And let's be honest, we all know, right, we're quite familiar with the, least, the list of the leading causes of death. And I think in some ways we could probably guess what those are, maybe even in order. Heart disease and cancer, there's accidents, chronic lower respiratory diseases, stroke and Alzheimer's, diabetes flu and pneumonia, we can probably recite that list. But are you aware that last year in 2020, that list changed significantly in that COVID-19 became the third leading cause of death in the United States? Not only that, but according to a report that was just released in the last couple of weeks by the CDC, that the life expectancy in the United States fell by an entire year and a half in just the first six months of 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. That's the largest drop since World War II. And the death rate uh, grew from 2019 to 2020 by 15.9% uh, in deaths per 100,000 people, according to the report. All that to say, all that to say that here in the middle of this pandemic, one that is once again raising its ugly head, surging once again, that we have had to think and talk about death way too much. And I am tired of talking about death. 
And I want to talk about life and not death. And we have seen, we have heard way too much about death and talked way too little about life. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the leading causes of life. You may remember that Jesus, Jesus explained in John 10.10 why he came. I came, he said, so that they may have life and have it to the full. Another translation says that I came that they may have more and better life, better life than they ever dreamed of, Jesus said. That they may have life and have it abundantly. In this series, we're going to look at some of the factors in living the life that God intends for us, that God created us to live a full life, an abundant life, life filled with vitality and meaning, wholeness and health. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about things like connection and how our relationships help us to live the life that God has entrusted to us. We're going to talk about living with a sense of purpose, a sense of coherence. We're going to talk about agency, about what we do, how our actions oftentimes speak louder than our words. We're going to talk about what it means to be a blessing, to live for other people. We're going to talk about hope, living with a sense of deep hope and not just wishful thinking. Now, our text for today's sermon is from Deuteronomy 30. The word Deuteronomy is a, a Greek translation of a Hebrew word that means second law. It refers to the law and the commandments that were given to the people of Israel through Moses. And at this stage in the narrative where we pick up the story, they have been liberated from Egypt where they have spent, they have been slaves for generations. But yet, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. They are freed. But yet, but yet before, before they go into the promised land, the land that had been promised to them, they spend 40 years in this liminal space between here and there, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And, and, and here it is 40 years later, and they're getting ready to cross over into that promised land. This is a, a threshold moment for them. And Moses, who won't be going with them, is reminding them and telling them, making those final preparations for their new life, making sure that they are truly ready to live the life that God has entrusted to them. And he reminds them, probably in the same way that a lot of parents across the street yesterday after they moved their students, their kids into the dorms at TCU yesterday said, remember who you are. Remember what life is about. We have set before you make good choices. He reminds them everything that they need in life is right there. All you need to do is to reach out and take them. Everything that you need is either within you or around you. You need simply choose and decide how you will live. So listen. Listen to this text from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Today's reading is from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. Here begins the reading. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear and observe it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth 
and in your heart for you to observe. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness you to, against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a number of years ago, I was serving a church in Atlanta, Georgia. Sandy Springs Christian Church is a great congregation. In fact, some friends of mine from that church are here with us this morning. They moved their son into the dorm uh, to start at TCU this week. Uh, also a member of that church was a guy by the name of Jim Torbert. And Jim actually played basketball at TCU about 50 years ago. Uh, and he and I used to talk about TCU all the time. He's a great guy. Absolutely fantastic, man. He, wonderful family. He had a wife by the name of Marilyn, still does, by the way, had a wife by the name of Marilyn. And he told me one day, he said, he said, you know, Russ, when, when Marilyn and I got married, we decided, we had a conversation, we made a decision that in our married life together, that I would make all of the big decisions as the head of the household, and that Marilyn, as the mom, would make all of the small decisions. And then he went on to tell me, he said, Russ, he said, Russ, uh, I've had three kids. We've made two cross-country moves. We've bought and sold four houses. I've changed jobs three times. Not once has there been a big decision that I've got to make. And it got me thinking when he told me that about how oftentimes it's the little things in our lives that oftentimes have big implications. It's those little decisions that have huge implications later in life. I don't know what that looks like in your life. Maybe it was you decided at the last minute to change the section of your class, to take a different professor, to take the class at a different time, and it was in that class that you met the person that you would spend the, life, the rest of your life with. Or maybe you canceled uh, an appointment that you had one day at work, and, and in that hole that you had, uh, something happened, a phone call came or something, 
that would oftentimes change the trajectory of your career. Oftentimes it's those small decisions that we make that have these huge implications for later in life, things that we may not even consider at this time. You see, my premise, my, my point this morning is that we are all invited every single day to make choices. And the importance that God calls us to do each day is to choose life. And oftentimes it's through those choices that are not necessarily huge life-changing decisions, but smaller ones that are no less important, that oftentimes, that oftentimes cause us to live the life that God has called us to be. You've heard the text that was read just a moment ago, the words of Moses urging humanity to choose life. I, I have set before you life and death, he said, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Choose life. But I wonder if we really know how to do that, if we know what that means. There's so much talk recently about death. So how do we choose life? Do we know what leads to living the life that God has entrusted to us, the life that God created us to live? There's this interesting story in Luke chapter 19, this strange passage about Jesus standing over on top of a mountain looking over Jerusalem. And he begins to weep in that moment. And he begins to weep and somebody says, Jesus, why are you crying? He says, because the people, they have no idea what leads to peace. I wonder if in the same way, how much of an idea that we have about what leads to life, and that as Jesus stands over our lives and looks, he continues to weep. You see, we must choose each day, probably a thousand times a day, through those, through those little decisions, we are called to make choices, the choices that lead to life. Gary Gunderson is a, uh, works at a hospital in Memphis. He's also on the, the faculty at the School of Public Health at Emory University. He's written a book about the connection between faith and health. It's been incredibly helpful in helping me put together this series. And he says in this book, he says, choosing life is a lot murkier than fighting death. In the same way that trying to wage peace is a lot murkier than trying to stop a war. A stopped war is not the same as peace. Life is different than non-death. We know how that works. Modern medicine has this array of tools and techniques and technologies that are, that are really good and effective in fighting death and, 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 and avoiding disability. Some of you have had your own lives saved by some of that technology, by some of those techniques. And we are filled with nothing but gratefulness for these gifts, for the gifts of the doctors and the nurses, the healthcare workers. And we also know, don't we, we know a lot about ways that we can prevent terrible things happening to our bodies. We can exercise. We can eat right. We even know how to, to eliminate some of the diseases that are most destructive in our world, things like polio and smallpox through vaccines. All of this, all of this leads to a much longer life expectancy. In the last 120 years, the average life expectancy of an American has increased 40 years. 
40 years. Think about that for a moment. You think 40 years times the billions of people in this world. That's a big deal. We are living longer. But the question remains, are we living more? We're living longer, but are we, are we living more? There was an essay that came out a number of years ago called The Paradox of Our Time. Some people thought that maybe it was the Dalai Lama that wrote this essay. Other people thought, well, no, it's obviously George Carlin, the, the comedian. There's a big step there between the Dalai Lama and the George Carlin. But actually, you know who it was? It was a Presbyterian minister in Seattle by the name of Bob Moorhead. And in this essay, he says this. He says, the paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers. We have wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy less. We have more degrees but less sense. Can I get an amen? We have more knowledge we have more knowledge but less judgment. We have more experts but yet more problems, more medicine but less wellness. We drink too much, we smoke too much, we spend too recklessly, we laugh too little, we drive too fast, we get too angry, we stay up too late, we get too tired, we read too little, we watch TV too much, and we pray not nearly enough. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We talk too much, we love too seldom, and we hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, he says, but not a life. We've added years to life, but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the street to meet our new neighbor. We have conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. You see, we're living longer, but are we living the life that God intends for us to live? We are fighting death, but are we choosing life? Here's the thing that I've noticed recently, especially in the response to COVID. You turn on the news that our imaginations, it seems to be all that we can talk about, all that we can think about. Our imagination is so filled up with resisting death that we hardly have room to think about anything else. We're so afraid of dying that we've lost the ability to live. Think about the way that we've been living for the last 18 months. We've, we've been so afraid of this virus, and rightfully so. But for many of us, for many of us, we've been gripped by fear. We've in some ways sort of forgotten how to live. I was having a conversation with a church member not too long ago who, like many of you, worked from home in the last year. And early this summer, her department started coming back to the office. But it was weird, she said. It was sort of awkward. Nobody knew whether to, you know, fist bump or elbow, high-five. No, can't hug. You, it, we, they forgot how to relate to one another. She says, she says people started spending way more time in their offices. She said in that moment, she says, it's like we've forgotten how to people, which I thought was a great description. As a culture, we've forgotten how to people. We fear crowds out of, when fear crowds everything else, it leaves no room in our imagination for anything else. 
if President Roosevelt was right and the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, then, then how can we turn from fear and death to living the abundant, full life that God created us to live? One of the hotly debated issues, one of the concerns in our country right now, and no, I'm not talking about the mass mandate in the Fort Worth ISD. That is like the third rail of culture wars right now. I'm avoiding that one as long as I can. I want to talk about something much less controversial than the mass mandate. I want to talk about gun violence, anything besides the mass mandate. As bad as it's been, it's gotten even worse, this gun violence in the last several months. And right now, on average, about 106 people die in our country every day from gun violence. That is a staggering amount of gun-related deaths. And whenever we start talking about how do we reduce that, inevitably somebody brings up, well, there's too much violence in our movies, or we want to point to our video games. Some people look to the mental health system, the lack of common-sense gun laws. It's, it's a complex problem, we say. And yes, it is. And any time we have a complex problem, all solutions have to be on the table. We keep hearing, right, whenever there's a mass shooting, whenever we talk about this, that, there's, that the problems are too big, that we're throwing up our hands. We think, what can I do? I'm just one person. But if we're going to choose life, we have to start somewhere. And I know that there are differences in terms of ideas on how do we reduce the amount of gun violence in our world today. But we have to begin somewhere. We have to start by taking small yet bold steps and doing just that. And no doubt there are people on all sides of the issue. But we, here's what I'm imagining, is that no matter where you are, we all think that there's too much gun violence. So let's start there. Let's start there and say we all agree. Let's start by talking about what we agree on rather than what divides us. Did you hear in the Scripture the resistance to that invitation to choose life? In that moment, you could, you could hear the, the, the response to the unspoken objections that were going on amongst the people in that moment that were afraid to cross over into the life that God had trusted them to live and they started things like, it's too hard. What can I do? I'm, I'm only one person. But we've never done it that way, which you've heard me say of the seven last words of the church. We've never done it that way. But the response from Moses, the word from Scripture is clear. You have a choice. The decision is yours. We can choose life and prosperity or death and adversity. It's up to us. The decision is ours. Living as God intends begins with a simple decision. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? So church, church, let's choose life. Let's love God. Let's love our neighbors. Let's obey the scriptures. Let's hold fast to what is right and true because it's just that simple and it's just that hard. You see, it's in this time when, when it seems that fear and death seem to have all the high cards. When fear and death seem to fill up our imaginations, leaving no room for anything else. It's important for us that love, that want to, to choose life, to come to the, 
the realization that oftentimes it's those small things, it's those small choices, those decisions that we make that lead to larger patterns in our life. And that life can actually pass through us and beyond us. A number of years ago, Regina Brett, who writes for The Plain Dealer in Cleveland, Ohio, she was turning 50 years old, and so she decided in her column that she was going to write 50 things that life had taught her. And it became the most widely read thing that she'd ever written. It sort of went beyond just Cleveland. It went viral, as they say, which now in the midst of this pandemic has taken on a whole different image, right, when something goes viral. But it went viral, and pretty soon people started emailing it back and forth. But as often happens, somebody sort of enhanced the article and said that she was not turning 50, she was turning 90. And so when people would Google Regina Brett, up would pop up this picture of this 50-year-old woman. Pretty soon she started getting all these cards and notes and emails. What is your secret? You look great for 90 years old. You know how those things happen on the internet, right? They, they tend to, it sort of like reminds me of that, that meme that's bouncing all over the internet these days. Don't believe anything you read on the internet, said President Abraham Lincoln. We know how that happens. Things kind of go on. But alas, she was only 50. But the list, no matter what, was really good. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I want to share with you some of my favorites. The first one is that life isn't fair, but it's still good. When in doubt, just take the next small step. The third one, she says, life is too short, so enjoy it. Cry with someone. She said, it's more healing than crying alone. Number nine is one of my favorites. When it comes to chocolate, resistance is futile. How many people know exactly what I'm talking about? Burn the candles, she said. Use the nice sheets. Wear the fancy lingerie. Don't save it for a special occasion. Today is special. Be eccentric now, she said. Don't wait for old age to wear purple. Go frogs. No one is in charge of your happiness but you, she said. Number 36, get outside every day. Miracles are waiting everywhere. Number 39, the best is yet to come. Number 50, number 50, always choose life. You see, church, you, you are a child of God. You are created in the image of God. You are valuable. You are worthy of love. You are already a part of what God is doing in this world. And God created you. God created you to live this life, this full life, filled with health and wholeness, vitality and compassion and generosity. And everything that you want, everything that you need in this life is either around you or within you. You just have to know where to look. Because once you see, you can't unsee. Once you know where to look, you see life in the most surprising places. You see, the choice is yours. It's up to you. And my hope and my prayer for you, for all of us, is that we will choose life.